This is the Heal from Trauma-Bonded Relationships with me, Dr. Sarah, empowering you to heal from painful relationships to rediscover your self-worth and confidence because you are ready to be the best version of yourself. What is a trauma bond and how do you feel it? First of all, I think society has started to become a bit more aware of what a trauma bond is, but I'm still seeing a lot of misconceptions and a lot of uncertainty. So here is the basic definition of a trauma bond. It is a relationship that you have with somebody where there are extreme highs, where you feel so loved, where you feel like it's magical. But there are also extreme lows where you feel you are criticised, where you are being manipulated, where you are being gaslit, but also where you feel like you are not good enough, where you are experiencing abuse. And so you rotate around this cycle. If you go down to the bottom, the, the darkest part, the most difficult part of the relationship, and then all of a sudden there's some sort of discussion of, you know what, this isn't working for me, what often happens is is that the other person, the abusive person in the relationship, tries to make amends and says things will get better, they make a lot of promises, or they put you into a whirlwind of love again, and so you experience the high again, you feel loved again, you feel like everything is magical and everything is okay again, and you get hooked onto the hope that things will be okay and they're resolved. But then all of a sudden you plummet again. Things become incredibly difficult again. You feel abused, you feel criticised, you question how good enough you are to this person. And as time progresses, you have fewer and fewer of these highs, but you still do have them at some moments. But the lows become more and more extended and they become more and more painful to the point where you end up feeling numb you disconnect with reality, you actually detach yourself from reality. People often talk about really losing themselves, really feeling like they don't know who they are anymore. And they might frame this in a couple of different ways. So when things are going really well, after the low, after the negative impact of the abuse, the criticism, the gaslighting, they might describe this as this person is everything to me, that this person embodies me, that I am nothing without this person, that this person is everything and I have to live with this person. I can't imagine life without this person. And so they kind of frame it in a really positive way. But word of warning, these are all really toxic patterns because if you believe that you can never live without somebody in your life, then that means that you are 100% dependent on them in terms of how it is that they treat you, how it is that they interact towards you. And they have full control over your well-being and over your emotions at that point. And you become helpless to that relationship. It might feel good at a particular moment, particularly when they're love bombing you. But the underlying message is, is that if you're framing it in that sense, they have full control and full power over you because you are always, always complete. You are always whole. 
without this person's existence before you ever even met this person or been in a relationship with them. But the other side of it, when things go really bad, when things are really difficult and painful, you don't know who you are because you lose all sense of identity. You've been trying to suppress your needs. You've been trying to suppress your wants, your desires for such a long time that you can no longer figure out who it is that you are anymore. You've been working so hard to try and satisfy this person, to be good enough towards this person, to get this person to like you, to approve of you, to show you love and affection. You've been trying really hard to meet their expectations. And that has been really challenging. And so in this process, the more that you've been trying to be the perfect person for them, the more that you've lost yourself in that process. And so there is this real loss of identity, but also you really disconnect with reality in that moment. And so what I mean by the disconnection in reality is, is that the further and further that you get within a trauma bond, the more criticism, the more attack, the more neglect that you have, that you experience, the more cumulative effect of a trauma that you receive. So just to break this down and just to really spell it out for those of you who might not be aware, trauma is not always super obvious and it doesn't have to be super major in the way that you would typically anticipate, how you would typically expect. So historically, whenever people talked about trauma, they would always believe, well, it has to be something major. It has to be a life and death situation. It has to be life-threatening. It has to be going to war. It has to be some kind of PTSD and it is clear-cut. It is definitive and that is what trauma is. And so some people say, well, you know what? I'm really unhappy in this relationship. Things have been really difficult, but I can't call it trauma because they didn't beat me up to death or near enough to death. Um, I haven't been bruised black and blue all the time by this person. So I'm not sure if I can really call it a trauma. Or even it could be situations whereby there has been absolutely no physical violence or no physical aggression. And some people are like, oh yeah, but then I, I don't know if I can frame it as a trauma bond or trauma within that relationship because that's, you know, that's not what trauma is. But let me tell you this. There are many forms of trauma, but generally speaking, they fall into two big categories. So there is a big T trauma and there's also little T trauma. So big T trauma is when there is something that is explicitly obvious, that is objectively obvious. And so that would be something like being in war. That would be something like being in a car accident that you nearly got killed. Or it would be seeing somebody else who had passed on and they got killed in some sort of tragic situation. That would be a big T trauma. And that can happen within a relationship. However, the thing that is more dangerous is the thing that you don't really see as being too obvious. And it's more dangerous because you're not really aware of it, because you're not seeing it, because you dismiss it. And those are the little T traumas. So the little T traumas would be things like being constantly criticized, being constantly 
belittled, being demeaned, being put down, being condescended, being patronized, having the threat of you not being good enough, having the threat of you being abandoned or that they're going to leave you for someone else or that they're going to leave you because they dislike you, because you upset them, because of whatever it is. But these constant attacks, these constant jabs, even though someone may argue, yeah, but you know, they also do good stuff as well. And sure, you're in the relationship because they do good stuff. But it doesn't deny that there's also bad stuff. There's the criticism, there's the abuse, there's the attack. There is the manipulation. And all of these are little T traumas, but they're all traumas. And so this is what is most dangerous because this is the thing that you are more likely to ignore. You're more likely to dismiss. You're more likely to brush under the carpet and just ignore it and pretend like it's not really there or it's not really significant. You're likely to minimize the importance and the magnitude of that. But actually, by you doing that, it means that it happens again and again and again and again. And again and again and again and again. And so it's the cumulative effect of all of these things that really cause a trauma and really cause a trauma response. And so let's say, for example, you know, you might be in a situation with somebody where they criticize you once and, and it, it kind of doesn't compute or you're not sure how to respond to it or, you know, you're taken aback or you, you're actually on board with their criticism. And so, you don't really comment on it. You don't say anything and you continue with that relationship. But that criticism gets bigger and bigger more often. It gets harsher. It gets more punitive. And so the more that this happens, the more that you get sucked into this vortex, into this whirlwind of criticism of this abuse. And so it becomes really difficult for you to be able to view a way out of it. You become really engrossed, embroiled within this relationship that is continuously traumatic. There are traumas that occur day in, day out, and it is really difficult to recognize it because you start to consider it as being the norm. But it is trauma. And so what happens is, is that physiologically, you respond. The body always remembers trauma. Trauma is always held in the body. And so how does that look like? Well, you are going to be physically tense. Your stomach is going to be churning. You're going to be feeling sick a lot of the time. You're going to be palpitating. Your heart is going to be racing. You're going to notice that you're going to have a lot more headaches. And you might even notice things that are slightly unusual, um, but they do occur quite a lot. So for example, you might notice joint pain or joint stiffness. You might notice that you are physically sick more often, that you just run down more often. You're not sleeping at all, or it's kind of intermittent. You're not feeling rested. You're constantly feeling on edge. All of these are a sign of trauma. But you also may experience derealization or dissociation or detachment. So, just basically going through these terms, what that means is, is that you are all of a sudden feeling as though you are no longer in reality. It's almost like there is this disconnect between what is going on 
physically and what's going on mentally. So physically, you know you exist in space and time. You know that you are here. But mentally, you're not here. Mentally, you are cut off. You may be zoned out. You may be just not here. And in that moment, uh, for some people, they may actually experience things like sounds. And so they may experience muffling. And one common thing may be something like having your head underwater. If you can imagine what that would sound like, that's what it feels like. And it may you may hear the sounds or you may actually feel like your head is being put underwater, but ultimately you feel as though you're not really in reality. You're kind of seeing things around you, but it's not quite processing. It's not quite aligning. And again, this is a trauma response. This occurs when you are outside of your window of tolerance, when things are becoming far too triggering and far too distressing for you to remain in reality. And it is an automatic system for your body, for your subconscious mind, is to cut off from reality. It's like a safety mechanism. It's a defense system. Your brain is trying to protect you from the distress that is actually ongoing in real time. And the way that it tries to protect you is by removing you mentally from that situation. You may not be able to physically leave that situation, but at least mentally it tries to get you to cut off from it, to detach from it. And so that's the reason why it happens. But you'll notice this real disconnect between what's going on physically and what's going on mentally. And so if these things are happening to you, these are just really things to be mindful of in that these are trauma symptoms and these can occur within relationships. Even if you're believing or you're considering that the relationship can't be traumatic because you are not being beaten up black and blue. Actually, it doesn't have to get to that stage at all. The trauma bond can occur in a much more subtle way And actually, those are the more toxic relationships. Those are the relationships to really watch out for because they're the ones that we get more sucked into and we justify staying in that relationship for a lot longer. We kind of justify it down this thread of, well, it's not that bad. Like, at least this person doesn't beat me up. Hey, you know what? It shouldn't get to that stage. It shouldn't get to that stage for you to make that decision to end to leave the relationship. It should never get to that stage. Actually, if you're unhappy because of something, that unhappiness is telling you something. It's trying to give you a message. It's trying to get you to a place where you can be happy. And that unhappiness is so innocently intended and it wants what's best for you. But because the signs of a little t trauma bond are more difficult to pick up on, you end up justifying why you should stay. And you end up believing that, you know what, things may get better. Yeah, we had a bad day today. We had a bad week this week. We had a bad month this month. But you know what? It's okay. Love will prevail. I can't imagine my life without them. And therefore, I have to try my best to keep it going, to preserve it. And so you get further and further sucked in the more time passes and you find ways of justifying the negative behaviours, the difficult behaviours, the toxic 
elements of the relationship, you just end up justifying it in one way or another. So with this, I really wanted to just briefly outline the stages of a trauma bond in terms of how do people even get to this phase? How do how how does it even occur? Or why does it even occur? So the first stage of how somebody gets hooked into a trauma bond is actually through love bombing. So what happens is typically there are two people in a relationship and one of these people tends to be someone who is highly empathic. It tends to be someone who is wanting to care for other people, who sees the best in other people, but also someone who may have difficult attachment issues. So they may be anxiously attached and they are really unsure as to how other people view them. And so all they want is to be loved. And so they work really, really hard to get that love from other people. And then the other person in the relationship, the person who ends up becoming the abusive party or the person who has more narcissistic tendencies, they love bomb. They express so much love and so much affection towards this person, towards the empath, in a way that feels very intense, that feels very overwhelming. And part of the reason why they do this is because deep, deep down, that narcissist, the person with the narcissistic tendencies, actually feels really fragile, actually feels really vulnerable underneath all of the layers of grandiosity. And so they're really afraid that no one is ever going to love them. That, that's actually what's going on in their core. And so what they do is, is that they work extremely hard at the very start when they meet someone to prove that they're lovable. They're basically trying to test out the market. They're trying to see if the person in front of them that they're going on a date with can truly love them. And so they bombard you with so much affection, with so much love, and they may be even declaring their love to you within the first 48 hours, let's say, which is cr crazy when you think about it, because how can you really know somebody that well within 48 hours in order to love them? But they do that. And so for the empath, the person who is just desperate to be seen, to be loved, it's really alluring. They're, they're really wanting to get that love, they're wanting to get that affection, understandably so. And so they get hooked in. And when they progress onto stage two, which is trust and dependency, there are a lot of plans that are being made for the future or being suggested about the future. So for example, the um, person with the narcissistic tendencies may be saying things like, I want you to meet all of my friends, my family, they'll be introducing you to all of their friends and family really early on. But then they'll also be making promises like, hey, let's move in together, let's get married, let's have children. And they'll be making all of these plans very early on, very, very quickly. And you, believing them and trusting them, you're, you're wanting to believe that, you're wanting to trust that. And so it becomes a lot more tempting and you start living out this fantasy life. But the problem is, is that then you start to get too close because they said, hey, let's move in together. And you're like, okay, I'm going to start looking for places. But for someone who has narcissistic tendencies, that's actually really frightening when it starts to become a reality and they think, oh crap, this is getting way too close here. 
which moves on to stage three, which is criticism. So person with narcissistic tendencies then starts to criticize the empath. And they do this in a way of pushing you away, of trying to get distance, of trying to avoid you. But also it fulfilled their need to be better than other people. So narcissists actually, like I said, they're very, very fragile, they're very um, vulnerable underneath the layers of grandiosity. But their own defense mechanism that they've not resolved is that they are trying their damnedest to be better than everybody else around them. And for them to be better than you, you have to be beneath them. And the only way that they're going to get you to be beneath them is by criticizing you. Even though they will have flaws, but they become hypersensitive to their flaws, you can't possibly mention about their flaws. But they start to criticize you and they start to heavily lay into you as time goes on. And you as an empath, you who's already anxiously attached, you don't know what to do with this because a part of you actually believes their criticism. So you actually are unsure if you are good enough. And so you buy into all of their critical narrative about you. And with this, you can't reject their criticism. You may try now and again to stand up for yourself and to, to reject their criticism, but actually they just criticize you more and more. And so you take it on and you believe that you just need to be better. You need to work harder to improve yourself so that you're good enough to be loved again. But then that moves on to stage four, which is gaslighting and manipulation. So you then start to say to this person, hey, when should we move in together? Like, is this still happening? And they'd tell you, hey, I never said I wanted to move in with you. Or they'd say, no, 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 that's not something. I don't want to have kids. Even though that they did actually say this at the start. Or it may be manipulation and gaslighting at various different levels. But the point being is, is that they're going to make you question your perception of reality. And so whenever you're trying to argue certain things like, but you literally told me that we're going to have children together. You told me that we were going to move in together. Like I, I've literally been looking everywhere. I paid deposit or I paid first month's rent or something on this place. But then you're met with criticism again and you're met with heavy, heavy gaslighting. You don't know what to do. And you try to stand up for yourself. But no matter how much you stand up for yourself, it feels like you're not getting anywhere. And this leads on to stage five, which is resignation of all control. You've tried really hard to stand up to this person so many times. You've tried to defend yourself. You've tried to justify yourself. You've tried to be good enough. But no matter what it is that you say or do, it is never accepted. You are always met with criticism. And so you resign yourself to ever being right in this relationship. You resign yourself to ever having control within this relationship. And this swiftly moves on to stage six, which is loss of self. You lose yourself in this entire process because on one hand, like I said, you believe that life is magical with them and they are a huge part of you. But also you believe that you can only ever be worthy if they tell you that you are worthy. Because as somebody who's anxiously attached, you are ultimately waiting on approval for from the other person. 
And so you lose your identity within that because you're also really confused with the gaslighting, with the manipulation, with the criticism. You don't know where you stand anymore. You've been trying your best, but you fundamentally as you are is not accepted in this relationship. And so you're working very, very hard to detach yourself from yourself to becoming this other being, this other entity. But actually, we don't even know who this person is. You don't even know what it is that you're aiming for because the goalpost keeps moving. And we end up with stage seven, which is addiction. And it's addiction on both a physiological stance and also an emotional and psychological stance. So you are waiting, you are hoping, you are praying for the positive love that you previously experienced for that affection for that attention you are waiting for that and you've experienced it before you sometimes experience it between the fights and you are hoping to have that again you are hoping to have that romanticized that fantasized that beautiful image that they'd painted for you and so you wait patiently, you tolerate the criticism, you tolerate the gaslighting, you tolerate losing yourself in order to have something better. It's almost like you believe that you're investing in this relationship and that it's going to pay you back, that you're going to have something so spectacular. But sadly, you don't have that. You may occasionally have the dopamine hit. And by the way, that's the physiological element of the addiction is that when things go well, you get the dopamine hit and you feel great. But as soon as things start to go downhill, it feels incredibly stressful. It feels very depleting, very deflating, and you don't know where to go. You don't know where to stand. You are just there hoping to get to the next high. So you work extremely hard to curate that high again. But sadly, it's never sustainable and it can never be sustainable because this is the cycle that the trauma bond is based on. The relationship in itself is dependent on having the love, the high and the low, the criticism. That is the relationship. That's what it depends on for it to exist because someone with a healthy relationship the moment that the criticism happened, the moment that the gaslighting happens, they just say, hey, you know what? This isn't for me. And they just walk out and, th and that's it. They, they don't continue with the relationship. They don't continue with an investment of a relationship that they see is going to be a losing investment. They cut their losses and they leave. Whereas actually for people who are anxiously attached, for people who are highly empathic, for people who are wanting to see the best in everybody who are living out this romanticized fantasized vision they struggle to cut their losses at the first time around it's almost like they get into the stage where i have to know that i've tried absolutely everything that i possibly can do to the point of being broken in order for me to cut my losses but you know what i'm here to tell you that you do not need to wait until you are broken the fact that you have tried is evidence in itself that you have done everything that you can do. And so I would really encourage you to let me know what you think about this and let me know if you've had any experiences of this, if any of this sounds familiar to you, if it resonates for you. 
And you can reach me on Instagram at dr.sarahalsawi or on my website at healtraumabonding.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do me two favours. Hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode and rate this podcast so that other people can find support and life-changing information. Until next time, take care.